1 Corinthians 6. If you have your place there, we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1 first. Now the first covenant also had many regulations for ministry in earthly, the earthly sanctuary. For the tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which was called the holy place, <clears throat> where there was a lampstand, the table, the presentation of the loaves, but behind the second curtain, the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies. It contained the gold altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant. And it covered with gold on all sides, in which there was a gold jar containing the manna from Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant that God had made with Moses. The cherubim of the glory were above it, overshadowing the mercy seat. But it's not possible to speak about these things with all the great detail right now. So he gives us just a little glimpse of the detail. And then he moves forward and says, These things have been set up this way. And the priests enter the room repeatedly, performing their ministry tasks, the first room. They'd just go there, just like we come here, repeatedly go in there. But the high priest alone would only be the one to enter the second room room that once a year and never without the blood which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people that were committed in ignorance now it goes on in verse 8 the Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the Holy of Holies had not yet been disclosed in the first tabernacle which was still standing as it goes on this is a symbol for the present time during which the gifts and sacrifices are offered that can not perfect the worshiper's conscience at this time. They are a physical regulation and only deal with food and drink and various washings imposed until the time of the restoration. Now, the Messiah has appeared and the high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands of this creation. Man, when you begin to connect these dots, you realize that Jesus Christ, he entered the Holy of Holies once and for all, not with the blood of a calf or a goat, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. He entered in the Holy of Holies, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes and sprink of a heifer and sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from our dead works to serve him a living God. Look at this last verse. Therefore, he is now the mediator of the new covenant so that those, which, those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for the redemption and the transgressions of the sins that were committed. Now, 
flip over, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. For do you not know that now your body is a temple, a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit. God, open our hearts to this fresh revelation today. May it burn inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this this morning, I have to admit that I had completely uh, planned on being gone from this subject at this point. Uh, If you look on our backdrop, it has time, treasure, talent there. But as I was just sharing this week and moving forward, man, God kept telling me, Man, you're leaving off the last T, which was the temple. For you know, as we talk about being a manager, what does it mean to be a manager? I think one of the things that the book we've been reading is a faith family, the blessed life, one of the things that's grabbed me the most is the defining the difference between a manager and an owner. A manager and an owner. And today, that's what we are. <clears throat> we are a manager of the time that God's given us, of the talent that God's given us, of the treasure that God's given us. Man, God has just so dealt with me through this stewardship series that we've been dealing with. and Because I began to realize, man, it's not just, God doesn't just want you to be a good steward of your finances and say, I gave my 10% and all's good now, I can move forward. But of our very time, the very time that we have, and our very talents, in our treasures, even beyond that. You know, so many people will say, I mean, the very vehicles that we drive, the homes that we live in, everything that we possess, that we would be a good manager of it and that we would take good care of it because the Lord has blessed us with it. The Lord has given us the ability to abide in it. And you never know how long that's going to be for, how long God's going to allow you to possess that home that you have. I mean, as I begin to think about this, you know, one of the greatest things that we have to be a manager of is the temple. Now, for you and I, we have to understand a couple of things to fully grasp this temple. I read for you out of the book of Hebrews because it gave us a picture of the past. It gives us a picture of what happened in times past and what's happening today. For in the Old Testament, we understand that there had to be this continual process And the tabernacle, the temple, was laid out with great detail and specificity. It was this massive tabernacle. It was huge. You can go over and read about it in 1 Corinthians 6 and several other places in the Old Testament. It talks about this tabernacle. It was about the length of a football field, almost the size of a football field. It was huge, very elaborate. Matter of fact, it was very costly. David spent the majority of the latter years of his life only laying up to build this temple for the Lord, a place for the Lord to worship. And as we begin to connect the dots, many people have tried to suggest how much it would cost to build the tabernacle in today's time and society. Matter of fact, it was with such wealth, such jewels, so much gold, so much treasure, so much um, exotic wood and cedars and Cypress and everything that had been placed into that tabernacle that, you know, to be honest, there's really no way we could just about compute today 
how much it would cost. It's that extravagant. It was that elaborate, the tabernacle. Everything had a purpose. I could spend a lot of time. There's a whole sermon series just in the tabernacle, just in the phases of the tabernacle. Everything that was in the tabernacle was there for a purpose. Matter of fact, we read a little while a little while ago in Hebrews, it says, that's all I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not going to give you all the details because I just want you to understand that there was the areas that took place in the tabernacle. Now, for us to be a good manager, to us to, to oversee the temple of God in a great way, there must be several things that we understand. Number one, we must understand the temple's beauty. As I was sharing there with you, it was laid out. It was extravagant. I could spend a lot of time talking about the beauty of it and all the things in that tabernacle. Then, not only must you understand the beauty of the tabernacle, but you must understand the purpose of the tabernacle or the temple. What was the purpose of it? Well, we see that the priest went to the temple and he did ministry in that first area. In that first court, he would do ministry on a daily basis. And in that ministry, there was supernatural things that were there. Matter of fact, uh, one of the supernatural things was Aaron's rod, just a regular staff that had budded. And from death came life. There was the manna that was in a golden jar, the, the miracle bread that came down from heaven and would only last for a little while and then it would pass away. There was the manna that was in that jar there. And then, most of all, there was the law. There was the word of God that came from heaven that God gave Moses, spoke to him, and that was in the, the tabernacle. That was in the temple, but it was in the ark. Now, understand that in the Old Testament, the ark represented where even though God was omnipotent, it was the place where the holy power and presence of God would physically reside. Now, I'm not saying he was confined to a box. He was everywhere. But it was in that box that represented the place where God dwelled. Now, as we think about this, we could spend a lot of time talking about the beauty. But the practicality of it was, it was a place that people would bring death, that they would bring sin, that they would bring bondage, that they would bring failings. And in the temple was the place that even though it was a place of extravagant beauty, it was a place that was ugly, a place that was messy because it was taking care of the business of sin there. There was the offerings. Now, that's what I mean when I say that it was ugly because people would bring in death. They would bring it to the priest. The priest then, once a year, would take that, go into the Holy of Holies, take the blood of, of calves and bulls and goats and all those things and would go in and make atonement for the people. Now, then what was the purpose of that? Well, we know that that was the place where ministry happened. We read a little bit further in Hebrews. We can see that it went beyond that, that it was more than that, that Jesus Christ came, and we know that um, that, that earthly temple had its limits. You can understand the beauty. You can understand the purpose. But most of all, you have to understand that it was limited. Now, I'm not saying it's limited. God said it was limited. We read it a while ago. And here's what we know. <clears throat> that Hebrews, if you read Hebrews... Hebrews is a fulfillment of everything 
that took place in the book of Leviticus. A fulfillment of Leviticus, the Levitical law. So Jesus Christ came, the Bible says, we read it earlier in Hebrews. It says, as we read this here um, in, in verse 11, Now the Messiah has appeared, the high priest of the good things that have come, the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not with the blood of bulls and goats and, and, and animals, but with his own blood. It was shed on Calvary's hill, entered into the tabernacle, into the, into the Holy of Holies once and for all, behind the veil for you and I. That's why on the crucifixion morning, you can read, or crucifixion day, you can read in the Gospels where the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Because there was no longer a need for the priest to go behind the veil and make atonement anymore because Jesus had done that for you and I. Now, so many times when we think about the temple, we think about Solomon's temple or we think about the temple where we do worship. And today, there's a lot of places in their churches that look just like Solomon's, I mean, they, they want it to be very elaborate and uh, very extravagant. And uh, that's where their treasure is. Their treasure is in their physical temple that they go and they worship in all the time. Understand something. Physical temples can be destroyed. Matter of fact, the first temple of Solomon's was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. As great and as wonderful and as extravagant as it was, it was destroyed. It was rebuilt, and it was destroyed. In AD 70, the Roman emperor went in and destroyed it, completely destroyed the second temple. Today, our Orthodox Jews are longing and waiting for the day that they can rebuild the temple. They have everything in order. They've traced down the lineage of, of, of Aaron. They have the priest in place. They're ready to begin to make sacrifices again. All of those things are in place. They just don't have the temple. They're ready to rebuild the temple. But understand something. They do not need a temple made by hands today because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. We're not looking for a temple made by hands. We're looking for a temple made by God. I hold in my hands a newspaper article here. And uh, the town talk, it came, uh, this article came out January 27, 2005. You may see the picture there on the screen. That was a lot younger, Pastor Brad there. And uh, I remember the church that I was pastoring, all of a sudden, a brand new facility, wonderful facility, came home one day, and the whole thing had burned down. It was destroyed. I remember gathering our family together that evening of the fire, looking at this, and you can see the destruction in the the horrific tragedy that had taken place, gathered them together and said this, that our building burned, but our temple has not been destroyed. Here's the reason why. Because this building is a tool. It's a place that we assemble. It's a place that we gather. It's a place that we meet. It's a place that ministry happens, but the Holy Spirit abides in us. Take God's people out of our temple today, out of our earthly buildings, and it's nothing more than just an old carved 
dealership building that's been spruced up a little bit. Today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to understand that if your hope is built in an earthly temple, it has its limits. It is not sufficient. It is void and it is lacking. We must understand the temple's future. The Bible teaches in 11 and verse 5 of 11 through 15 of Hebrews. It teaches us here very clearly about the future tense. When we look at that and we begin to connect the dots, we see that Jesus Christ is now the mediator of the new temple. It says that the new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal life. Understand that Paul was writing to the Jewish brethren and the Gentiles who understood the significance of the temple in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he writes to them and says, understand something, my brothers and sisters, that you are the temple of God, that you have been bought with a price. I remember as a young boy, my grandfather's job was every Sunday, he would get up really early, and he would be the first one to church, and he would open the building, he would make the coffee, set all the units, and I remember one Sunday, I would always like to sleep over with him and go early for whatever reason, I still hadn't figured that out, but I would go there and Man, as we walked into the doors of the sanctuary, it had these huge glass globes all throughout the building. And I remember when we walked in there that, um, man, the, uh, somebody had broken in the night before, went through there with a stick and burst the globes, um, had just tore up the, the, the bathroom, defecated all over the place, and had really wreaked havoc on that church building. Now, what Paul is saying is this, that... Now, your body is the temple. It's not just a place. We want to get fired up if somebody graffitis a church, destroys a building. Yet, we're very apathetic. We have apathy in our hearts when people destroy the temple of God. Now, man, God has really been dealing with me on this. I realize when you go back and you read this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says in verse 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be under control of anything. Paul is saying in verse 12 that through Christ I have freedom to do a lot of things, but understand that I will be addicted to nothing. I will be in bondage to nothing. There's this alcoholic that I've really been trying to help a lot, and he's in bondage to alcohol, and he's struggling. But you know something? He's not the only one that's addicted to things. He's not the only one that's in bondage. Paul says this, I want you to know that I will be a slave to nothing. Understand that food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will one day destroy both of them. And he goes on and he says, do you not know in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are members of a Christ? So should I take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Do you not know that anyone joined with a prostitute in her body, for the Bible says the two shall become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, flee from sexual immorality. Every 
person can commit this outside the body, but the one who is in sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that God paid such a high price for you? A high price was paid for our body. A high price was paid for our body to become the temple, the place where God dwells. God's not looking for the, God's not dwelling in the Ark of the Covenant anymore. That's not the presence, place where his spirit dwells anymore. God doesn't need a box constructed by the hands of man to dwell in because God has created you in his own image. God has created you that you might shine forth the glory of God, that you may be the essence of God, that you may be the appearance of God, that you may be the glory of God. And then that our body upon salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. Therefore, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have a treasure in these earthen vessels. The Spirit of God has been deposited in the body of man. Therefore, we, me, you, every one of us, are now the temple of a holy God. Why in the world, when Tyndale and Luther's and others started writing about the priesthood of believers and us being the temple of God, did it create such havoc and martyrdom all over the countryside? Why was it heresy? Because they didn't believe that there was no way that God would forsake their elaborate temples and come and dwell in a body of flesh. But I want you to know something today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that your flesh and body is the place where the Holy Spirit desires to dwell. Therefore, do you not know that you were bought with a price? Therefore, we should take our earthen vessels and glorify God in everything we do. Man, it's easy to preach on homosexuality and get the crowd fired up. It's easy to preach on drunkenness and get the crowd fired up. But how about gluttony? Amen. You don't have to be fat and obese to be a glutton. If you just gorge yourself on food all the time, that's committing gluttony. That scripture says the body is made for food and food's made for the body. One translation says you've heard the old saying that when you were a baby, you would eat to live, but now that you're older, you live to eat. I read that and I was pierced to the heart because I've said that many times. I love to live to eat. I began to think about this in my life. The Lord began to deal with me because I began to realize, man, that I'm not, that I haven't been taking care of the temple of God the way that I would take care of the building of God, the sanctuary of God, that I would take a whole lot more care of this building than I would of my temple. Man, I realized when, when I, now, you know, everybody was littler when they were younger. Can I get a witness? And, uh, man, but I began to realize just that I couldn't function the way that I used to function just because of the condition of my current body. 
And so therefore, I realized that I wasn't being a good manager of the temple of God. When I realized that I needed to begin to put my shoes on differently, when I, instead of going to my shoe, my shoe would come to me, I began to realize I had a different strategy. And things began to look, you say, oh, pastor, you know, you're getting older. And when you get older, you're supposed to level out and the bubble's supposed to be in the middle and all that stuff. You're not supposed to be able to do all those things that you used to do. Well, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to. But I know some guys that are in their 80s that could work me in the ground, that could work some of us in the ground. Why is it? Because they have taken great care of their body. They have, taken, they have been good managers of their temple. Now, here's a thing that I want to say today, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is the place where the glory of God dwells. Therefore, we should treat our body the same way that you would treat your church building that you want to assemble in. And the same way you would get fired up if somebody broke in this building, ransacked it, raided it, stole the possessions out of it. We ought to be fired up the same way that we raid the house of God, that we don't take care of the house of God. I admit to you that I could preach on this for a long time, and you'll never you'll never follow it unless the Holy Spirit speaks it. I mean, you preach on quit smoking, drinking, shooting up, and, and, and all tattoos and all that kind of stuff. Listen, you're never going to quit it until God speaks to you. When God speaks to you, you'll quit it. Now, here's what God's going to do. God will let you do what you want and go so far in your walk with him. But to get to the next level, to get to the next place, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, pastors smoking cigarettes, they're not going to send me to hell. You know, you're right. Smoking a cigarette ain't going to send you to hell. It may make you smell like hell, but, I mean, you're, you're, it's not going to send you to hell. But I tell you what it will do. It will begin to damage the temple. It will begin to hurt the temple of God. The same way that you get fired up if you walked in here, saw people smoking in the church of God, we would get fired up with the temple of God. Now, understand something. I'm just singling that one thing out, but we could go on for a long time here and start checking things off. Check, 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 check. I don't have to do that. We're all adults in here. We know what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Here's what I want you to know. That God's got a great plan for you. If you think that temple of Solomon was something, go home, go in the bathroom, and look in the mirror. Because you, my friends, are the temple of a holy God. You are created in the very image of God. So then, don't subject yourself to things that would then begin to deteriorate, depreciate, depreciate the very temple of God. You have a future. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. I want you to understand the new temple is a temple that's not made with hands. Until we get to glory, we have the privilege of being the place where the presence of God resides. My question is, what are you doing with the temple? What are you doing with the tabernacle? What are you doing 
with the place that God dwells.